I am like ready to explode with excitement. I'm so excited about this word. We're only going to cover five verses today, but uh, man, they're jam-packed. We just started a new series called Hidden Treasures, and it's, it's, we're going through the book of Colossians. The entire book is only four chapters, um, but literally every single verse, I, I think I could spend an entire message teaching on. Um, there was a, there's a story about Muhammad Ali. I don't know. Anybody remember Muhammad Ali, the boxer? Um, well, he wasn't necessarily known for his humility. And uh, he was flying one time, and there was some turbulence. And so the flight attendant made the announcement, everyone, you need to fasten your seatbelts. The captain has requested this. And Muhammad Ali refused to do that. And so the flight attendant came up to him and said, excuse me, sir, you, you need to wear your seatbelt. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She said, Superman don't need no airplane. Now fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> That's how I feel today. I feel like I need a seatbelt because I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so excited about this message. There was a poll done recently where they asked people, um, if you could ask God one question, what would that question be? And the answer that was overwhelmingly given was... I would ask God what my purpose in life is, why he put me on earth. Do you wonder the same? Do you wonder why God created you? Do you wonder if you have a purpose? Do you wonder if God has plans for you? Do you struggle to to believe that he really sincerely wants you to prosper in in him and in, in his kingdom? Today we're going to explore the, the knowing and living God's will. It is possible for us to know God's will. We're going to talk about how today to really truly know the will of God and to know how to discover that and how to walk it out and how to live it. So um, anybody excited about this? Anybody want to know about this? So would you pray with me and for me? Um, I really... Uh, I, you know, as a as a team, we've been we've been walking around this room um, every week. I've asked my staff and my team and um, and the, the people that serve here to just walk around and take one hour a week and walk through this room or this building and just pray. So I don't know if you can sense the difference in the atmosphere, but we are really inviting Jesus to come and reign over this place and over this room and over the people that come in here. So each and every chair has been prayed for numerous times. So I just want to warn you in the back row, look out, Jesus is coming for you. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Um, I'm I'm really happy about the, the, the fact that that the Lord doesn't, he's not like a, uh, like a change artist or he's not like a, a practical joker. Have you guys ever seen that show, Impractical Jokers? Yeah, yeah, Jesus is not like that. <laughs> he is a God who has a will, has determined that will for each and every one of us and wants to reveal that will to us. And so today we're going to talk about seeking God's will, we're going to talk about suffering in the midst of God's will, and we're going to talk about surrendering to God's will. So Colossians 1, five verses now, 9 through 14, 
Um, I'm going to be reading this out of the New Living Translation, and then uh, I'm going to break it down in the English Standard Version. So if, if it seems a little bit confusing, that's that's why the scriptures are going to be worded just a little differently. But if you have your Bible with you, or you have your Bible on your smartphone, you can open up that app right now to Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you a complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Woo! Amen. Right? Good stuff. Good promises. It's saying here he's going to give us all spiritual wisdom. He's going to give us insight into his heart and into, into his ways and into his will. And it's saying that he's rescued us, that he's set us free, that he's taken us from the kingdom of darkness, which is ruled by Satan, and he has put us in the kingdom of light, which is Jesus. Jesus. And so as we seek him, it says Colossians 1, 9 again, and this is the English standard version. And so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is what I've been praying over you. This is what I've asked my, my team to be praying over you, that you would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And isn't that the most precious thing? I mean, you can lose everything material. You can lose all your relationships. You can lose your health. But if you have spiritual wisdom and understanding, you can have peace with God. And that's the promise. In Romans 12, 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world. You know, there's a difference between the wisdom of this world and the spiritual wisdom or the wisdom of God. The wisdom of this world, the Bible says, is foolishness unto God. But the wisdom, the spiritual wisdom, the wisdom of God has all kinds of promises attached to it to get wisdom. I mean, the Bible says over and over to get wisdom, to try to become wise. And again, Solomon, God asked him, what, what, what is your prayer request? And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And because of that, God was so pleased that he gave him wisdom and then he gave him all kinds of other stuff. And that's the Bible says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, which means spiritual wisdom and understanding. Seek the things of God first and his righteousness, the way that, that God asks us to live and calls us to walk. And all these things will be added unto you, it says. Seeking first his kingdom, then everything else will fall into place. But so often we get it upside down. We, we seek all these other things and then God is just kind of added to our lives. Instead, today we're going to talk about 
what it means to completely surrender to him and to lose our lives. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. You know, when you become born again, when you become a Christian, when you accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers for all of our sins, past, present, and future, when you surrender to him, he says you have to become like a little kid. You know, just like these little kids that they're teaching. It says that we have to become like that. We have to assume that we know nothing. That he's going to instruct us and he's going to teach us. It says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. It's saying that if you seek spiritual wisdom you'll be able to discern the will of God for your life. It says, what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will? His will is good, acceptable, and perfect. The gap, I always say. God's will is the gap. The good, the acceptable, and the perfect. Which means good is not just like, so how's that restaurant down the street? Eh, It's good. It's not like that. It is good. This is This word is not a great translation because it doesn't encapsulate really what this means. Good means there's no problem with it, no fault in it. God does not make any mistakes. It says his good and acceptable, which means that it it fits, that his will for your life is going to completely fit. Have you ever uh, purchased a pair of shoes and they're just the wrong size or they just fit badly? Anybody? The worst. That is the worst. As opposed to you get a pair of shoes and you're like, oh my gosh, these were made for me. That's what God's will is like. It will fit you so perfectly that you will absolutely know that it's God and his perfect will. It's, it's completely without any fault. Colossians 1.10, it says that he will do this so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You know, we live in an area where we talk a lot about worthiness, right? You wonder if people are worthy. Well, first of all, no, none of us are worthy aside from Jesus. Jesus makes us worthy. Our worth comes from him. So don't ever mistake that. Don't ever think that your value or your worth comes from from the things that you do or from your works, right? Anybody with me? Okay, it says, so walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, what this means is not that you have to do all kinds of works and you have to do all kinds of things to, to earn God's love. Note, you already have God's love. You already have his forgiveness and you have his love if, you, if you've surrendered to Jesus, if you've accepted Christ in your life, if you've accepted him into your heart. You already have this. But we are still called to live our purpose, right? We're called to live the way that we were created to live. Each and every one of us was created for a very specific purpose, And so it says that we're supposed to walk in that. We have a choice. You can either agree with God and surrender and walk the way that God has called you to walk, or you can fight against him and ultimately lose. Okay, because that's what's going to happen. You're not going to win against God. He is ultimately going to win because he is sovereign. It says, 
Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Again, this doesn't mean your good works are going to change his mind about you. But in the same way, you know, I have, I have two grandchildren and I, oh my gosh, I can't even tell you how much I love them. And those of you who are grandparents get this. It's like, I absolutely adore them. But isn't it easier when your kids or your grandchildren obey and when they, when they do things? I mean, doesn't that just make things so much more peaceful? It's the same thing with the Lord. His love for us doesn't change, but you can either choose to please him or you can choose to dishonor him and do your own thing. So it says that, we're, that we are walking in a way Um, that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. We talked about that last week. Dave and Cindy shared their story. This gospel that is producing fruit and changing lives. We can be participants in that, which is is so exciting to me. I had a, a lady that I've known for several years, and I've been sharing Jesus with her for a long, long time. And I kind of was at the point where I was like, well, I guess it's not going to happen. And she called me this week and I got to share the Lord with her again. And she was completely open. It was so awesome. It was so exciting. Um, It says that we are bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in what? The knowledge of God. He wants us to know him. God wants us to know him. He, he doesn't hide from us. He wants to reveal himself to us. And in first Thessalonians 2.12, it says, we pleaded with you, we encouraged you and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. So this just means not that, not that you're not worthy of his love, but he wants you to walk in a way, it's like that, that passage, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things according to the Bible. And he's calling us to do things his way, not because he's a killjoy or because he wants to rob us of our pleasure, but because he knows that his ways are the only ways that will bring us life, that everything else leads to death. You know, it says, it says in the Bible, in Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. Oh, this keeps clicking, I'm sorry. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So the definition for sin, if you're wondering what sin is, sin is just falling short of God, of God's standard, doing stuff that is contrary to God. That's all it is. All of us are sinners, and I'm going to talk about that next week when we get to the next section. But it says, we pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that, would, that God would consider worthy for, this part blew me away. So now listen to this. For he has called you to share in his kingdom. Check it out. He has called you. Nudge the person next to you. Say, she means you. He's called you to share in his kingdom. What? His kingdom, the kingdom The kingdoms of this world are the kingdoms of our God, the kingdoms of the universe. The God of the universe has called you 
to share in his kingdom. Woo! King of kings, you are royalty. It says in 1 Peter 3, you are one or two. Anyway, it's 1 Peter somewhere. He has called you royalty. He said you are royal priests. You are, you are so precious to him that he wants to share his riches with you. He wants to share everything with you and his glory. That just blew me away. I just sat and thanked God this week when I read that. He's called us to share in his kingdom. You guys are princes and princesses because your dad's a king. You know, you see those shows back or movies, um, you know, about the 15th, 16th century and the kings. And we don't really understand royalty in America. We don't really get that whole thing, right? We, all we know is like, presidents and legislators and senators and all that. Nothing like the king, the one who holds all the authority. Have, has anybody seen a movie where they, you know, they, they have the royalty, the kings and, and their palace? I mean, and, and, and God is the king of all kings. There have been many kings throughout history that have claimed that they were the king of kings, but there is only one king of all kings and he's your dad. So that makes you super special. For example, think about this. Uh, does anybody remember, uh, there's a, there was a picture years ago of John F. Kennedy when he was the president, and there's a picture of his little son playing on the floor in the Oval Office. Right? Under the desk. His son was playing. And Now, if you and I went to the White House and said, hey, can I, can I go into the Oval Office? I, I want to play something on my... Do you think they would let us in? No, there was a special place. That little boy was special because he was the son of the king. And that's who you are. And so you have special access into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus talks about it all the time. And we kind of gloss over it. But the kingdom of God... I'm so excited about that. We get to share in that. When you open the Bible, open it up and and ask yourself, what am I planning to do with the knowledge that I'm going to get from this today? My pastor Daniel Brown always says, never use the word of God unless you have the heart of God. You know, people have taken the Bible and twisted it and distorted it for their own selfish means, for their own selfish purposes, People have started cults by twisting the scriptures. When you open it up, it should always draw you closer to God. Every time you read the Bible, it should draw you closer to God. And I want to warn you against people who come to you with the deeper truths. Or they've had a new revelation. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. If people come to you and have that special deeper truth they're probably not walking in the spirit of God. And if you are talking to somebody and they make you feel less than, or they make you feel like, kind of like they're the have and you're the have not, that person is not walking in the spirit of Jesus. I doubt that anybody that ever encountered Jesus in in the flesh, I doubt that anybody that ever was face to face with Jesus ever walked away feeling like, oh, I'm not good enough. I think that that, 
The spirit of Jesus is a spirit of love and acceptance. And so if we are walking in that, we should, would, we should ex- uh, communicate the same thing, right, to people. So these people that, like I've, I've encountered so many throughout the years, I could tell you so many stories of people who come and they're like, oh, the Lord has shown me something that no one else has ever known. It's like, no, he hasn't. You're not, you're not special in that way. <laughs> I mean, you're special, but not in that way, okay? You know, God does not work that way. He wants to reveal himself to us, and he has revealed himself in the Bible. So if you walk away from somebody and you're feeling like, oh, I'm not worthy, or I'm not good enough, or they make you feel like you're, you're kind of less than me, that is not the spirit of Jesus, So beware of those people. And when you're reading the Bible and you're seeking and searching for God's will, look for principles, okay? So don't don't pull out a verse out of context and go, this is what God is saying to me because you can mess yourself up pretty badly. Okay, like for example, it says that um, Abraham was gonna live live to a ripe old age. So you could take that and say, oh, God's promising me that I'm going to live to a ripe old age so I can live however I want. That's not a good way to live. You don't assume that something specifically about another person is necessarily true of you. Look for principles. Look for the generalities, the whole counsel of God we talk about. The entire word of God, not just picking out little things. Or you could say, Lord, lead me today. Show me the scripture. Boom. And Judas went out and hanged himself. Okay, you can see how this can go south, right? Okay, or there's a scripture in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 40, where, where um, the Lord is talking to people who worship false idols. You could say, Lord, speak to me today. Give me your word about how you see me. There's a scripture that says, you are less than nothing. All of your works are utterly worthless. (laughs) That's not super encouraging, right? But he's talking about people that are dishonoring him. So he's not talking to his kids. He's not talking to his beloved. So I just am encouraging you, don't, you know, handpick little things and then claim that that's God's will for your life because you could be led astray. Also, when you feel like or you believe that you've heard from the Lord and you, and you believe that God is showing you something in the word, seek wise counsel. Go ask somebody who really knows Jesus and really knows the word of God. Seek somebody, seek out somebody and ask them to, you know, say, hey, does this sound like God to you? Okay, it's always a wise, it's a, it's a safety net. So when, uh, when we're seeking the will of God, uh, you know, we, we hear from God sometimes and then we think, oh, this is how God's going to work this all out. And we try to figure it all out. I have learned in my years of walking with the Lord that he will speak something to you and he feels no obligation whatsoever to give me the whole game plan. It says his word is a lamp to our what? Feet and a light to our path. It doesn't say he's going to show you 20 years down the road. He doesn't work that way, right? But it does say that um, the one who called you 
is faithful and he will do it. That is what we put our hope in. And and we put our hope in the fact that when he speaks something to us, he's gonna make it happen. We don't have to make it happen. The only thing we have to do is determine, am I gonna obey what I've heard from God or am I gonna not obey? Okay, That's that's the only thing we have to determine. And sometimes in the midst of that, God calls us to suffer. Suffering is a part of life. You know, I, I had some friends who used to believe that, that there were certain people who had the ministry of suffering. I was like, no thanks. <laughs> who wants that ministry? <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> but, but you know, there are some people. Um, one of those people, I believe, um, was David Livingston. And you've heard that saying, Dr. Livingston, I presume, right? You've heard that saying. Um, he says, I would rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of the will of God. If you have never heard his story, I would recommend that you look into it. It is a powerful, powerful story, but he suffered greatly. He suffered greatly. So look up uh, David Livingston, Dr. David Livingston. But God sometimes calls us to suffer. It says in Colossians 1.11, however... It says, being strengthened with all power. Strengthened with how much power? How much? That's a cool promise. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Now get this, with joy. When you are suffering, he has promised to strengthen you with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks in the midst of it, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the inheritance of the saints in light. I love what it says in the NLT. It says, may you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. When we spend time with the Lord, and I, I recommend, be, do what Jesus did. Jesus got away. Go somewhere. It says, go into your prayer closet and pray. Go somewhere. Be alone with the Lord. Be alone with the word of God. Take the Bible and just spend time with him. You can't know him if you don't spend time with him. And I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just saying if you're not doing that, you're missing out. You're missing out on the blessings that he wants to pour out on you. You can be filled with joy, always thanking the Father, even in the midst of suffering. And I'll tell you something, if you are struggling in your marriage, or you're struggling at work, or you're struggling just in life, start giving thanks in the midst of it. It changes everything. I promise you, it changes everything. Start to give thanks. The Bible talks about thanksgiving and giving thanks hundreds and hundreds of times. We're called to give thanks Okay, so do it. Look at the person next to you and say, do it. Ah, you guys are not obeying. (laughs) The purpose of prayer, you know, a lot of times people get really mad at God when something goes wrong. Something, Something doesn't go the way that they want it to go. People will get really mad at God. Go, you know what, I prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing happened. God didn't change anything. The purpose of prayer is not to change the circumstances. The purpose of prayer is to change us. The purpose of prayer is not to twist God's arm and say, God, do it my way. The purpose of prayer is to surrender 
and to be given over to his will and to have the peace and to have that joy as we give thanks. Philippians 1.29, this is a really significant passage for me. It says, for you have been given... Um, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering in him. Now, I was was spending time with the Lord years ago, and I, um, I read this passage. And, you know, I talk about the bold print passages. Like, you'll be reading along, and all of a sudden there's like, what? When did he put that in there? And all of a sudden it'll... It'll just strike you. And that's where you stay and focus because that's what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You know, as you're reading along, don't, don't make it your goal to just read a whole bunch. You know, if maybe you only get two verses in and you're like, boom, the bold print. I know some of you, it's January, so you've started your new Bible reading plan. But focus on what the Holy Spirit is saying. Look for what the Holy Spirit is saying as you read the word. And stay on the bold print verse. This was a bold print verse for, for me one morning. And, and it says, the NIV says, For it has been granted unto you for Christ's sake, not only to know him, but to suffer for his sake. And I did not understand that. I, I mean, I knew that that was what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. But I just assumed that it meant that, you know, I was going to, have meningitis again. I've had it three times. So I thought, oh, I'm going to get meningitis again. I just assumed that I knew. But later on that day, the Lord had spoken to me um, and told me that one of my kids was a type 1 diabetic, which it struck me out of the blue because I didn't really know anything about type 1 diabetes. And the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and said, One of your kids is a type 1 diabetic. And I went on the website and I looked and this child had had 9 out of 10 symptoms. So when I read this passage and it talked about suffering, suddenly I knew why. And when you spend time with Jesus, he's preparing you. He knows what's coming and he's getting you ready. And that doesn't mean that when you read the Bible, you have to be filled with fear. Oh, no, he's speaking this verse to me. Perfect love casts out fear. You don't need to be afraid. But when you spend time in the word, he is preparing you. He is, he is reinforcing in you that faith and the strength and the spiritual wisdom and understanding. So it has been, it, you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Do not believe any, if you, if you hear TV preachers or you hear anybody teaching you that God has not called you to suffer, he's only called you to prosperity, that is not supported by the Bible, okay? All right? So if the only thing you're seeking is a Lamborghini, you might get that Lamborghini, um, but, but Jesus has said that we get to, we get to suffer for his sake. That's what he has called us to. John Wesley, um, who is a theologian, he actually, I think he was the founder of the Methodist Church. Yeah. He was a founder of the Methodist Church. Um, In his journal, um, this is what it says. I visited someone who was ill in bed after having buried her seventh, or after having buried seven of her family 
in six months. Let that soak in. Seven members of her family died in six months. She had just heard that the eighth, her beloved husband, had been cast out to sea. And I asked her, do you not fret at any of those things? And she said with a lovely smile upon her pale cheek, oh no, how can I fret at anything which is the will of God? How can I fret at anything which is the will of God? He has given me himself. I love him and I praise him every moment. How many of you think you would respond that way? How can I fret at anything that is the will of God? So, so we question sometimes when we're suffering. We think, God, are, am I being punished? Are, did I do something wrong? And, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, you, if, if there's something that we need to repent for, of course, we're going to go before the Lord and ask him to show us. But don't assume that because you're suffering, that it's because you're being punished. You are being prepared. Okay, and the grace of God will never leave you and lead you anywhere um, where He will not sustain you. God will always sustain you. Whatever He calls you into, He will He will handle. He will take care of it for you, and He will be with you. That's the promise of God. Ephesians three sixteen says, "I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength." Through his spirit. This can only happen from spending time with him. You can't just get this just. There's no other way than being in his presence. Reading the word and spending time talking to him. A.K.A. prayer. Talking to God and listening to God. You know a lot of times um, when, when people come to Christ. They, they can't go back and reconcile their past if they have been abused or molested, or, or they've gone through devastating things, it's hard for people to believe that there is a good God that could allow such things. Anybody ever wonder that? How could a good God allow such great suffering? And now this is a, a really, it's a controversial theme, um, but there, there's a pastor, John Piper, who wrote a book called Does God Desire All to be Saved? And we could get into all kinds of theological rabbit traps or rabbit trails, which we won't today. But the interesting thing that he said, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas was a morally evil act inspired immediately by Satan. Luke 22. Yet, in Acts 2.23, Peter says, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So how could something that was satanically inspired be part of the foreknowledge and the, and the definite plan of God? How is this possible? How is it possible that as you were being beaten by your parents or you were being molested, that God was standing there going, yep, go ahead, it's fine. No, God is not standing there giving his approval. Okay? Not everything that happens is initially the will of God, but he will, he will show you purpose. He will show you what his will is within that. 
situation. And he is the only one who can bring you that healing. You know, in Romans 8, 28, it says, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. That, that means, that word is synergeo, which, is, which means like a power, like a force, that something horrendous can happen in your life. And God will take that horrendous thing and turn it around for good and for his glory. Because I'll tell you, there's, there's no one that can minister to another person like someone who's been through it, someone who's, been, who's an overcomer in Christ, right? When you go through something hard, you don't want somebody giving you platitudes. You don't want somebody just shooting out all these cliches. You want somebody that's been there and gets it and has been through it. That is the point where you can, you can receive the hope that God wants to offer you and you can provide that hope for others as you are an overcomer in him. Isaiah writes, we esteemed him, Jesus, stricken, smitten by God. It was the will of the Lord to crush him and he has put him to grief. How is this God's will that he would crush his own son? How is it God's good will that his son should suffer? See, we can't, we can't fathom this. This is beyond our comprehension. And yet, this is God's will. It was God's will so that we could be reconciled with him. See, there's no way. All of those horrible things that happened to Jesus, the people shouting at him, crucify him, crucify him. Do you think that God is saying, yeah, I want you guys to do that. Go ahead. No. God was saying, no, don't. But they're saying, crucify him, and they crushed him, and they beat him. And his sacrifice on the cross is the only way you and I can be saved. That's the only way, is to accept what he offered for us. So even in the midst of sin and satanically inspired things, God is always sovereign. He is always in control. He is always on the throne. And he will use our pain and use our circumstances to bring hope to others. It says, God was very much engaged in the events that brought his son death on the cross. God considered it fitting to make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And yet we don't think that we're supposed to suffer. But God's trying to kill something in us. When we suffer... Again, we can either surrender and say, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. How can I fret over something that is God's will? Hebrews 2.10, as Jonathan Edwards points out, Christ's suffering could not come to pass by... I don't know why I said Hebrews 2.10. Jonathan Edwards points out, Christ's suffering could not come to pass but by sin. The only way that the plan of God could come to pass was because of sin, other people's sin, that God used them. You know, it it says that he makes some for noble purposes and some for ignoble. That's Romans 9. I'm going way too deep, I'm sorry. (laughs) For contempt and disgrace was the one thing he was to suffer. Jesus had to suffer and die so that we could be saved. So, Toby Mack, the famous words of the famous theologian Toby Mack. He says, be grateful for the wound that pushes you toward God. 
That's why I'm saying gratitude, thanksgiving, is the one thing that will change your perspective. It will change the way you look at your circumstances and the way you look at God. Gratitude, thanksgiving. Some things you don't need to pray about when you're seeking the will of God. I mean, there are certain things it's like, well, I mean, should I get drunk, Lord? No, you don't need to pray about that. Because the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or you don't have to pray, Lord, should I kind of cheat on my taxes a little bit? I'll give you part of it. That is not something you need to pray about. There are certain things that are black and white in the Bible. There are issues of, of God saying, this is my command, honor this. But other things... You, you do need to pray about in order to get clarity and always start your prayers with thanksgiving. Always start your prayers by thanking God for something, okay? So again, God does not will every circumstance, but he always has a will within the circumstance. First Peter 3.17 is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So let's say, for example, your boss, I used to have a boss who always told me to to uh, lie to my customers. I was selling pianos. And he always told me to lie to my customers. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. And the fact is, you know, I could have lost my job over that because I was insubordinate. I was not honoring what he was telling me to do. I said, I fear God more than I fear you. I could have gotten fired for that. But it is better to suffer for doing good. You may have been fired for doing what was right, for complying with the law. I don't know. But it says it's better to do that than for doing evil. So the will of God will never leave you, lead you where the grace of God will not follow. God's grace will always be there with you, whether you're suffering or not. But the thing that we are called to do in the midst of it is to surrender. To surrender to God. Colossians 1.13, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Okay, there are two kingdoms. The one we talked about already, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of darkness. He has rescued us because of his sacrifice on the cross. He has taken us out of darkness and brought us into his kingdom. And and if you don't believe that there's Satan, you are deceiving yourself because there is clearly a Satan and he is the one who inspires all evil. There's a kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There's no kingdom of gray. (laughs) Darkness or light. Either you serve God or you serve the evil one. I strongly suggest you serve God. Much better benefits, okay? Um, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's another story, Elizabeth Elliot, I've talked about her before. She suffered greatly. Her husband was a missionary and was killed by a tribe in a remote area. She ended up going back to that tribe and, and winning them all to Christ. She says, the will of God is not something you add to your life. It is a course you choose. God says, I set before you life and death. And I tell you, choose life. Choose life. Choose God's ways. You know, Saul of Tarsus, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Saul of Tarsus was a, he's, he eventually became Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament in the Bible. But he was, 
he persecuted Christians. He killed Christians. He was going about his merry way thinking he was doing the right thing. And he got knocked off his horse. And Jesus came to him and spoke to him and told him that he was calling him to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. It says, then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Jesus came to redeem us from our sins, not to reject us because of them. A lot of times we think, I, I'm, I, I've done too many things. I've gone too far. There's no way God could use me. It's just the opposite. Those are the things that God, God uses to qualify you. God redeems us from our sins. He doesn't reject us because of them. Do you get that? Listen to this again. He, he redeems you from your sins. He doesn't reject you because of them. Those things you've overcome, again, are the things that qualify you to be used of the Lord as you surrender to him. It's the very things that we've overcome that qualify us for his kingdom. So rich in kindness and grace, it says in Ephesians 1, 7, that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered his kindness on us. I love this picture. Standing there, he's showering his kindness on you. Showering his kindness on you. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that causes us to change our mind. His kindness is being showered on you along with all wisdom and all understanding. So seeking and, and surrendering and suffering to the will of God, the only way that you can do that is to be with him and to know him. And, and again, one step at a time, one obedience at a time. You know, we want to have the entire plan laid out for us, don't we? That's kind of like Christian voodoo, you know, or, or witchcraft, you know, it's part of, we want to have control. Because if we know, then we can control. But God is saying, no, I'm calling you to a life of faith. I'm calling you to jump off the edge of the cliff. And he's saying, seek me first. Um, one day I was walking um, along this way. I was going from my house to the Lees, and I had a $20 bill in my coat. And it was a really cold day, so I had gloves on. And I accidentally um, pulled my phone out of my out of my pocket, and the $20 bill fell somewhere. So if you guys need 20 bucks, it's somewhere. <laughs> and, um, and then I was walking here last week, and, and as I was walking, I was kind of, you know, looking, you know, maybe it's here, kind of walking, and, and uh, you know, I was kind of nonchalant about it. And as I, as I crossed the street, the Lord spoke to me and said, this is how a lot of Christians live their lives. Now contrast that if I had lost my great-grandmother's wedding ring. How intense do you think I would have been seeking? I would have gone over every single inch of that path. Or if it was a million dollars as opposed to 20. How intense do you think I would be? And that's what Jesus is calling us to in seeking him first and his righteousness. And then he will reveal his plan to us as we offer ourselves sacrificing and surrendering to him. That's when we'll know his good, acceptable, perfect will. That's the only way to know it is to look for it with intensity. 
Not just kind of this, eh, I go to church and then walk out the doors and live like a, I was going to say banshee, but that's not the word I'm looking for. <laughs> live like a sinning dog. You know, it's, it's not, God isn't calling you to that. That's a life of futility. Seeking the things of the world and all the, pre- the pleasures of the world, you will never be fulfilled. That all leads to death. All of it. Dead end every time. And man, it looks so promising when you first make that turn onto that road, doesn't it? Ends in death every time. Can I have the worship team come up? We're going to sing one more song before we leave. Um, Revelation 3, 7. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David. And it's talking about, some translations say, whose door, who opens doors that no one can shut and who shuts doors that no one can open. When the Lord opens up that door, nobody can shut it. And when you're walking, you just walk in obedience. You know him, you walk in his spirit, you know his word. And as you walk, he will shut the doors or he will open the doors. And the only choice you need to make is either life or death. Either I'm going to obey or I'm going to resist God. And he's calling you, choose life. Choose life. And the thing about, about God, if you, if you notice throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites, they messed up over and over and over and over and over. And I think God puts those stories in there intentionally so that we can see that we too mess up over and over and over and over and over. But his grace is the thing that gives us access Because if it was based on our works, there's no way we would ever qualify. And I love how the Old Testament shows this whole story about people that mess up and are forgiven. They mess up, they're forgiven. And so as we sing this, you know, we are are broken vessels. And yet the Lord adores you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And he wants to overwhelm you with his goodness and his kindness and his mercy and his grace. So as we sing this song, can you just surrender to him? Can you just say, Lord, I want to know you more. Lord, I want to know your will. I surrender.